Good morning. So glad to see everyone this morning. Glad that you're here and grateful that the Lord has allowed me to stand before you. I uh, uh, love this particular scripture, but pastor, this happens to be his very favorite. So no pressure, Jacqueline, just don't mess it up. <laughs> so um, to make sure, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Um, dear Lord, please help us to devote ourselves to you and your teachings. Help us to possess and exude the level of faith and power to transform our world in miraculous ways. Help us to truly love one another as we love ourselves. Please, Jesus, open our hearts and homes to the multitude of possibilities which lead to a stronger fellowship, to praising God, and to blessing all the people. Help OUMC be a place of love and care and help us to be a community of believers where people see and feel the moving of the Holy Spirit in such a way as to want to join us and be a part of the family of faith. Teach us to be Christ for our broken world. Now, please, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray, amen. The last few weeks, we have spent time searching the scriptures to reveal the identity or our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. Through careful examination of the scriptures, we found the following truths uh, about who we are. Now, some of these I preached, some of these pastors preached, but they tell us who we are as followers of Christ. Number one, we are the church. Wherever we go, wherever we are, that's where the church is. Whether we're at home, at work, in the community, or in the gathering place, in this place, we are the church. Because the church is not a building, but a community of believers. We are the church. We are priests. We are a royal priesthood, mediators of God's grace in the world. God has given us the ability to pray for one another, to intercede for one another, and bear each other's burdens. Thus, we need to act like who God says we are, because we're all representatives of God. We're God's ambassadors, so we need to make sure that as we go about, we represent God well and we show grace as God has shown grace to us. We are prophets. We are called by God to share God's message with the world. It is our duty as followers of Christ to let the world know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
How will they know except that you say it, except that you tell them? We are prophets. We ought to be able to tell somebody, somewhere, sometime about the love of God. Our lives ought to exude that love. They should see it before we ever have to open our mouth. We are God's work. I love uh, how um, Brett said, the very breath of God is this scripture. God breathed life right into us. And we are God's work. And whatever we do and whatever we say should point somebody to the love of God. It should show them that our lives have been touched by the master. That our lives should be a testimony of God's faithfulness, of God's love. We should walk in the spirit in such a way that people want to come and know God for themselves. God made us, not we ourselves. We are God's handiwork. We are a masterpiece of God. Thus, our lives should be filled with praise and thanksgiving, thanking God, hallelujah, hallelujah, all day long for the very breath of life that dwells within us. See, today we're going to discuss another aspect of who we are. We are community. I believe that Pastor loves this so much because it gives such a beautiful and glorious picture of who we can be in Christ and who we should be in Christ and who we are according to the Word of God. Just that the disciples, the disciples met in the upper room of a home and were visited by the Holy Spirit. Our homes, our offices, our cracker barrels, and other spaces where we are can also become gatherings for Christian community. See, I love when Pastor tells the story of Cracker Barrel because they're right there among all the people, and some people stop and they want to hear. What are they talking about? They're saying something about Jesus. I want to know what they're talking about. See, that's how our lives should be, even when we're out at our jobs and, and at our places of fun and what have you. We should be walking in such a way that people want to eavesdrop on that conversation because they want to come to know the God that we serve. Now, I might get happy this morning, but y'all be all right. <laughs> this scripture really does something for me. Just the thought of the Holy Spirit having this level of power and bringing this power down on the church gets me excited. Oh, my Lord. Who are we in Christ? Who we are in Christ determines who we are in the world. I want you to get that who we are in Christ determines who we are in the world. Who we are in the world shows what we do and how we live out our faith. 
how we live out our faith helps others determine whether they want to join us and follow Christ or run from us because we are not Christ-like at all. Now, <laughs> I want you to think about that when you're having your conversations, when you're spending time with one another. You know, when nobody else is listening, trust me, somebody's always listening. So who you are and how you live out your faith is very important, not just for you, but for those watching you in hopes of finding Christ in you. Ask yourself, do people look at my life and say, Ooh, if that is what Jesus is like, I want all that Jesus has to offer. You know, I want some of that and some more and some more. Keep putting it on my plate. Or do they look at you and say, if that is what Jesus is, I'll pass. No thank you. Think about it. The Acts 2 believers understood the importance of being devoted followers. So they followed the apostles' teachings and fellowshiped with one another. They ate together. They prayed together. They helped one another. They even sacrificed their own possessions to assure their fellow believers had what they needed. Because when one didn't have, None didn't have. But when one had, everybody had. See, growing up poor, I understand that concept right there because that's how our community was able to withstand. See, you may be asking yourself, what in the world was going on in their time that they would be willing to sell their possessions and give the money to other people in need, to put it all in? See, in our individualistic society, the that type of communal living seems strange and is met with great angst and suspicion. But I will say in Israel, when I had the opportunity to visit there, these communities actually do exist. They are called kibbutz, where all things are owned in common. Whether you're a doctor making a bunch of money or whether you are working in the field, everybody brings all together. And uh, traditionally, these communes or gatherings have been based on agricultural or industrial type work. But nowadays, to become a member of the kibbutz, you must make application and then wait and be invited into one of these communities. The selection is often based on the gifts and graces that you bring to the group and whether you're a good fit for that particular community. But it is a lovely picture of everyone in the community being cared for equally and equitably. Now here in Acts 2, we see God at work through the apostles. In these scriptures, God is initiating, and I want you to hear that, God is initiating Apostles didn't do it. God is initiating miracles. The power of the Holy Spirit has fallen on the day of Pentecost. 
folks are speaking in tongues and people are being saved and the church is growing by thousands. Woo, that's exciting. According to Scott Schaff, a commentator for the working preacher, the account follows directly what we're going to talk about today follows directly the story of the Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit has been experienced powerfully, not only by the gathered who were remaining followers of Jesus Christ, but also by many people in Jerusalem, in the surrounding neighborhood, and in the gathering community. In other words, you couldn't even walk by the upper room without the Holy Spirit falling on you too. Woo-hoo! Just the very thought of that gets me excited. Now, I want you to think about Uruwa as big as we are. Oh, hallelujah. If the Holy Spirit got on this church in that way, and the fire came down in that way, people couldn't even drive down this highway without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what a time, what a time. I get excited just thinking about it. If, if, if Uruwa, and if in our homes, we had the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way, just think about how powerful and transformative that could be for an entire community, for an entire world. Oh, my Lord, what an amazing time. Oh, my goodness. See, Peter had given the first Christian evangelistic sermon. Oh, Peter must have preached that thing by the power of the Holy Spirit that day, explaining that what the people were experiencing was the end times gift of God's Spirit, promised by the prophet Joel, now poured out on them by the risen and exalted Savior, Jesus Christ. The response to the sermon was tremendous. See, Pastor preached that last week on Joel, didn't you, Pastor? Oh, pouring out the Spirit upon all flesh. And that's what was happening in that upper room that day. And the response to that sermon was tremendous. 3,000 people repented and were baptized and joined Jerusalem Christian community. 3,000 in one day. Oh, my, my, my. See, the modern-day version of that, because y'all saying, yeah, that happened back then. That, that, That don't happen now. Oh, but it does. There's a modern-day version that's in our church history, actually, of this pouring out of the Spirit that happened at Azuzu Street Revival. Have y'all heard about that? Oh, what a revival it was in Los Angeles, California, which started in 1906 and lasted until 1915. Most of us can't stand three days of revival, let alone years of revival. (laughs) Oh, the revival lasted. People came from all around once they heard about the pouring of the Holy Spirit. See, the revival was led by William J. Seymour, an African-American preacher. Now, Seymour believed the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the third work of grace, evidenced by speaking in tongues. Now, he had not experienced this yet, and so the people kind of frowned on him and said, now, man, you're just crazy because, you know, you haven't done it, so why you think it should happen? Well, Seymour went to a prayer meeting, and they got to praying and then praying for the Holy Spirit to fall. Oh, how the people prayed and prayed. And I'm going to tell you, that was the birth of the Pentecostal church because the Holy Spirit fell that day. 
and all and many days after. During that time, people who came within a certain proximity of the house, which is at 312 Azuzu Street. You know, I tried to go there when I went to Los Angeles because I thought maybe there's still just a little bit something there. I was going to get me some if it was. <laughs> so I was at, but if, at 312 Azuzu Street, we found themselves overcome. If they got anywhere near the church, they were overcome by the Spirit of God. Many of them just were slain in the spirit, just fell out in the streets, repenting, changing their lives, being transformed, wanting to be new people in Christ Jesus. People from all nations, races, and creeds, they came together, and they came to pray, to praise, and to worship God Almighty. They didn't look at who was the preacher and who was this and who was that, what color you were or what tongue you were speaking in. By the time everyone got there, whether they were Native American or African or from Egypt or Asia, it didn't matter. Holy Spirit has fell and then they were speaking in tongues and they could understand everything. They said, wait a minute, how am I understanding in my own language when I know these people don't speak my language? But all oh, the power of the Holy Spirit. What a time, what a time, what a time. And this is proof that the places we live in, that was just a little old raggedy shack they were in. And they shouted so on that shack, they tell me that the porch fell in, that the people were shouting so and, and, and trusting God and the spirit was so high. Everywhere we, can, we are, as Christ, followers, is a place of worship, is a place of community for believers because we are the church. Now, this week's passage describes what the life of the resulting community looked like after Pentecost. See, Pro Professor Schaff reminds us most of the activities described here in the reading characterizing the community's life have been characterized as Christian congregational life throughout history. This ain't new. Teaching, fellowship, eating together, and prayer have been common Christian practices for ages. Now, two of these may be especially significant. Fellowship. The Greek word that, that they use here is koinonia. That's a, that's a word y'all all know, which connotates Christian fellowship or communion with God and or with fellow Christians. The second concept is eating together. Now, Methodists, we love to laugh about how United Methodists love to eat and fellowship. We can't get together unless there's some food on the table. That's just who we are. And though it's funny to us, these aren't activities that we just happen to do. But these are essential acts of Christian life. This is an important part of being a Christian. It has value and it has meaning. See, teaching and prayer are the more obvious as Christian activities and are important spiritual disciplines for all believers. But eating and fellowship are also important aspects of the Christian community. 
So all you good Methodists, enjoy your food. It's all right. It's a good thing. And it's part of our Christian heritage. So the next time they laugh at you about your potluck, you just let them know. We're living out our Christian heritage. There's some debate about the precise nature of the third and fourth activities. There's a question of, does the breaking of bread refer specifically to the Lord's Supper or, more generally, to shared regular meals? Well, the answer is probably both of them. Now, one, in 1 Corinthians, we see that the Lord's Supper was celebrated as part of regular meals. They did the Lord's Supper, and then they fellowshiped together through a meal. Thus, breaking of bread has always been an important time for the Christian community. The fourth item says the prayers. Not simply prayer, but the prayers. As some translations have it, they just say prayers but it's the prayers, and so there's some specific prayers, and uh, Schaff seems to think that these set of prayers are referring to some occurring prayers at the temple, and it goes back to Acts 3 and 1. These were the prayers offered at the temple at 3 in the afternoon. The word says the ninth hour. So Peter and John, if we remember, went to the temple at this time of prayer and brought healing to a lame man. So please know and remember there is power in our prayers. Now verses 46 through 47 provide a similar additional description of the community's life, repeating the ideas of their fellowship and shared meals while adding their praises of God and the goodwill experienced by them among the rest of the people. This was all important aspects of Christian community. And so some were repeated to signify their importance and how we should act. So you'll hear them repeated here. When people saw these Christians coming together when I think about the word community itself, I say, come unity. Come unity. Come in unity. And see, that was a rare thing. So when they saw these Christians coming together in unity, caring for one another, dwelling in unity, truly living out the faith, they wanted to join them. They said, wow. I want some of what they got. If we are to see the church grow today, this is the model we must follow. We must devote ourselves to the Word of God so we can teach others and share the goodness of God. We need to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ that has been given to each of us. We must be willing to sacrifice to help those in need. See, this was a perfect time. Here we were with the Apperson Food Bank. So many things have been brought to make sure that some of our fellow Christians would have a bite to eat. See, that's the thing about dwelling in unity 
and being a true community, if I've got food, I want somebody else to have food. I don't want anybody to go hungry. If I got nice clothes on my back, I want the other people to have nice clothes on their back. If my kids can go to a good school, I want their kids, whomever they may be, to go to a good school. See, it's about the same two principles. We love God and we love each other as ourselves. So what we want for us, that's what we want for other people. Whether you realize it or not, people are watching. They're watching you. So remember the lessons from this series. Y'all, we are the church wherever we go. We are priests called by God to be mediators of God's grace to a dying world. So be gracious. We are prophets called by God to share God's message of hope and love with the world. So speak up and tell somebody about Jesus. And because we are God's work, so beautifully and wonderfully made from the very breath of God to worship and to serve God, everything we do should point to God. And we should be able to say, this is the God I love. Mm. When we are all living according to what God says we are, not what the world says we are, but what God says we are, we form a Christian community where everyone is loved and cared for in every way. We are a community. And if there is anyone who would like to join the family of faith, anyone who wants to become a part of this body of believers, please come. Anyone who wants to know Jesus for themselves, please come. The altar is open. Our hearts are open to you. If there be anyone, May the grace of God be with you. Amen.